0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer Squad. And for years, we've been telling you about Zoomers increasingly working past the traditional retirement age of 65. Has that trend been reversed? It looks like the so-called Great Resignation has finally hit Canada. The latest numbers show that 300,000 people retired in the last 12 months. That's 12 months from July, and that's a 30% increase from the previous year. So is this a pandemic induced blip or a new reality? And here's the question that some financial experts are asking, are we retiring our way into a recession? So what do you think? The numbers 416 360 0740, toll free 1 740 4740. And now I'd like to welcome our squad, Bill Van Gorder in the house today. He's the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, and John Wright, Executive VP of Maru Public Opinion. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Uh, Hi, Libby. Hello. So let us begin with David. You're our demographic guy. Do you think this is a blip or is this something that's here to stay?
2: Well, I think um, I don't understand how we can retire our way into a recession. Uh, The headline is alarmist, but I don't understand that. But I think it's something that's here to stay, but I don't know why it's a surge or a blip. It's a steady 25,000 per month. People are getting older. The population in that age group is increasing. And as much as it's true that people are working past the age of retirement, the size of the cohort at something around 7 million of retirement and post-retirement is just so large that in spite of the trend to many of them working past retirement, the number that don't work past retirement can't help but be a large number. And we are going to see this uh, going forward, but I think it's more a function of the size of the total population in that age group.
1: It it seems to be more of a factor not so much in 65 plus but people 55 to 65 it's kind of a an early retirement thing. John, what do you make of that? Well, two things. Um and I
3: have to tell you even look at my own family, my two younger brothers and their wives have just retired and they're so I just turned 65 and they're younger than I am. And I think, you know, if you look at their example, during the pandemic, they had a chance to look at their own finances. I mean, there are many people who have not sat down with a financial planner by that stage of their life, and so it's a good thing to do so. But they had. They were able to identify what their needs and their costs were going to be, plus they were living house-rich um, because they've got a lot tied up in it, and they've got investment. So they made the decision that they could do this. One of them living on about 60,000 bucks a year in terms of expenses. So I I think they decided to do it because they wanted time to live. I mean, my brother once said to me, you don't work 45 years in order to live for 15. They want to make uh, an opportunity to enjoy their grandchildren that they now have to travel a bit, but just to get out of the rat race. I think that if COVID hadn't happened, I I don't think that they'd be where they are today, but I think it gave them a real pause and a chance to look at all of the expenses that they have and all of the things in front of them with the help of a financial planner and say, you know what, we can do this. So I think a lot of people who would normally be doing it three or four years from now are taking the options to do it now if they can.
1: Uh, And uh, Bill, I mean, a lot of Zoomers that we know are working because they like working.
4: That's true. They, they do. And I think that is the older, you know, without being careful not to generalize, but that tends to be the older part of the demographic who have that work ethic, where the younger part of that uh, work ethic, my own, my own daughter uh, has now retired. And, How old uh, is she? And uh, she's uh, not quite fifty-five. Uh, and she's now uh, retired Did government uh, work all her life. Looked at what the finances were and wanted to get involved in things she'd never been able to do. She's also an actor and and uh, going going back to that uh, part time. Her friends are the are the same. They're less looking at uh, continuing what they've always done as some of us who are older do and looking at things that uh, they want to do now. And they're maybe not as patient as uh, we are or we were.
1: David, is this a phenomenon uh, that is specific to certain professions? Uh, So uh, Bill cited government work. They've got good pensions. And also, we know this is a huge factor in nursing. and, And in addition to the mental strain of going through the pandemic, nursing is a very physical Job, or right. it can be anyway, depending on what you do. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think I think it goes back to what does retirement even mean? Because certainly, you can leave a profession. You can say, "I was this. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop." Uh, and does that mean I'm never going to go back to earning money from employment? I'm going to live off my pension or accumulative savings. So, in other words, I'm out of the labor force, which is our original question. Or does it mean I have a second career, I have a side hustle, I'm retired but kind of not retired, I'm re-entering the workforce, I've tried it for a couple of years, I'm bored out of my mind, I want something new, um, all of the above are true, and this is the first time we 've lived in this all of the above model it 's not as either or as it used to be. That said, the pressure the downward pressure on the supply of full time uh, workers uh, is can 't be denied, but I do think that a lot of people that claim they're retiring um, go back later on and unretire so you've got all of these things happening it 's quite Uh, varied all at the same time. And that's what makes it difficult to analyze.
1: John, uh, do you uh, have any insight on the question of whether it is job-specific?
3: Well, I've been looking at demographics for 30 years, and in the polling that I've done, We always have to remember that there's roughly 35% of the working population or for the older population who has absolutely no savings whatsoever for retirement. So there will be people, regardless of whether they want to retire or not, who are going to have to keep working. There's another group of people who have some investments. They have their home, if they've been lucky enough to own it. Um, But they're actually going to have to work Any ways to top it up, especially if they're on any kind of a fixed income, um, and during times like this. um, But they can also supplement what they've got by working, and that's a desirable thing. And then you've got roughly the same amount, another 30 odd percent, who are completely comfortable. They have their house, they have investments, they might have a pension that they've retired from. I mean, whether you're a teacher or whether you're someone in the medical field, um, or have been part of uh, the civil service, I mean, those people do have pensions, and they are oftentimes indexed as well. So you have to really look at how many people are able to do so, how many people want to do so, how many people want to top up what they've got and that they can't, and then other people who, in fact, have got nothing um, to fall back on, and, and they're going to have to keep working as long as they can, unless there's some kind of a safety net that's put in to uh, by the government to help them out.
1: Well, there is a safety net, presumably. We have CPP. We have old age security, which just got the first increase in many, many years. But again, the actuarial financial planning people say you're really better off uh, deferring all of that.
2: Well, you're certainly leaving money on the table if you jump in too soon. You could be getting more. But the question is in terms of raw dollars, raw actual dollars, So you 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 forego ten grand or twelve grand or whatever it is, but uh, if you've got nothing, if you really have nothing, per John's point, which I agree with, and you're relying on CPP and OAS, good luck because it's meager, ugly. In my opinion, it's very ugly. It
4: is, and and uh, we know that. as many as 30% of older Canadians are in that uh, in that spot where that's all that they're getting. So uh, it's fine to do articles about why you could wait and not start uh, taking it now. For many people, that's not just a choice. And it's also, uh, I, I I think the, the stories we've heard recently uh, do make it sound like it's a very simple thing to decide. It's, it depends so much on your own lifestyle and what your own future might be and what you're willing to to uh, do, and there are ways of of uh, using the numbers to show that you'll get if you start early and live as long as people are living now. In the, the long run, you might get more money in the long run and have less clawed back. So it really is something people have to look at individually.
1: Uh-huh. No, I'm laughing because I, I I've uh, talked to people who are saying, "Hey, you know, uh, if you don't take it right away and you die at, at an earlier age, you're really missing out." It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I, I would agree. If I die at an earlier age, I would be missing yeah. out. Exactly.
2: But, exactly. but but you but, always say
1: that. Uh, I mean, but the
2: point is, in seriousness, that the the dollars at play if you really need those dollars, if you really don't have any other means, are not lavish. You've got a serious problem. And to go back to something John said about his siblings, you know, you don't work 45 years to, to uh, you know, for 15 years. I think that was the analogy, 45 years and 15 years. Well, what if 15 years is really 20 years or 30 years? Are you going to spend that time if you've even got the means, more people are going to say, I don't want to do nothing for 30 years, 25 years. But on the other hand, if I have to keep working, I might have to keep working. A, a AARP in the United States reports a high number of people saying, um, I believe I'm never going to be able to retire. People in this sweet spot, 55 to 65, looking at it you know what, I'm going to have to keep working until I die. I'm never going to have enough. Now, they may be wrong. I'm talking about their perception or their attitude. But there's now a thing that, you know what, uh, this 65-year-old uh, magic day is never going to come because of – and now throw inflation in on top of it. So it's 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 a difficult uh, situation.
1: John, what's your take on uh, David's uh, theory about different attitudes to work in the cohort that's over 65 and the cohort that is under, that is over 55?
3: Um, Well, I I mean, if you look at people, such as those, I guess, on this line, um, I intend to keep working because not that the money is the greatest thing that's motivating me, but it's intellectually involving. Like, I like it, um, and I'll keep doing it for two or three or four years to go. That's kind of my plan. There are others, however, who have been in a situation where they don't like it or that they don't want to continue on, that they find it tiring, that they want to try and take um, a situation and, and make it you know, more restful for themselves, or that they want to spend more time with their family or for others. So I, I think, again, it's one of those psychographic things where it depends on very much you know, what's motivating you to do those sort of things. I think the thing that, that's most concerning to me is that we have nine years uh, before the end of the baby boom kind of hits the healthcare system where it's at its peak, um, it's not that far away. Um, and there are going to be a lot of changes between now and then. Even the housing market is going to change drastically because those seniors who are no longer able to live in their house are going to cash in, if that's the case. But if everybody cashes in at once, it's going to be a lower market. There, there are a number of big changes coming over the next decade based on the baby boom going through. This could all be finished by about 2043. And then you're into a, a situation where 100% of the growth of this country is going to be based on immigration as opposed to anything else. You know, and So we have some issues. I think it's great if older people want to work as long as they can because that means that the taxes that they have are going to be supporting more of the seniors, in fact, who are going to be leaving. But I think you know, nine years from now, we're going to be in a situation that's not that great. And we're going to have to, you know, um, change a lot of things in our society in order to accommodate the following seven or eight years.
1: Um, Bill, I, I I want to talk a bit about the economics of this. You know, David said he didn't understand how retiring leads to recession, and that's because it uh, it can lead to a drop in GDP in productivity. So the next question is: so on the one hand you have a certain recognition that this is a problem, but on the other hand, you have ageism in the workforce. So you're talking about, and I know people, okay, they retire, they want a break, and then suddenly uh, maybe not so much. What's the situation? Will this uh, mean that people with experience are more respected and more valued or the opposite?
4: Well, at CARP, we certainly hope it it will. We're certainly still seeing ageism. We're still seeing uh, companies hesitant to hire older experienced workers with some very Old ideas about how much they can contribute uh, companies not being willing to adjust their policies so that they can hire older uh, older workers uh, and uh, they're going to be forced we think to to start hiring and this is going to be good for those who don't do want to go back to uh, work and have those skills that they want to uh, contribute at this point there are not enough companies who have adopted the uh, the attitude that uh, an older worker, a part-time senior uh, worker, somebody who can mentor and lead is going to be just as, if not more productive than younger and new employees.
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting. We've been talking about the nursing shortage over the last, well, very long time, but last week, there were quite a number of nurses who called in and said, You know, they should bring nurses back, if for nothing else, than to mentor younger ones. Because as with many, many other professions, when you get out of school, you don't necessarily know very much about how to do your job.
2: I think this is true. And I think that um, the United States is way ahead on older workers uh, and not necessarily forcing companies. Companies are realizing there's a shift now. It used to be, let's get rid of the older workers because they they cost expensive. us more. They're expensive. Their salary has worked its way up to a certain level. We'll replace them with younger workers. All of a sudden, number one, the supply of younger, where I look out to the younger worker market and there's not that many of them, and maybe they're not as good as the older for the reason you just mentioned, it's cheaper to retain the older worker than to start all over again, especially if you lose productivity. So there are... Many companies that are adopting mentorship programs, uh, tailoring the employee benefits to the older workers, such as building caregiving in that maybe an older worker needs more than a younger worker. Uh, there's, there's a move. Uh, That's much more prevalent in the U.S. than here. To say, wait a minute, we're going to face a supply crunch here. I cannot wait for the immigration system to figure this out. I need the bodies now, and where are they to be found? And then that fits with the needs of the older people who are saying, "Uh, "I'm not sure I want to retire, but I'm maybe I kind of do, but I'm listening (laughs) to any offers, you know." So it's it's uh, Canada will catch up with this, but we are our corporate sector is not. Uh, as advanced as the U.S. on this.
1: Okay, I'm going to take a call from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron.
2: Oh, well, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. It's an interesting subject today.
5: Um, I'm sure you've been in the grocery store, Tim Hortons, whatever, fast food restaurant. Everybody, Home Depot, whatever, everybody is short-staffed, right? Yep. And... I, I kept asking a couple of my friends of mine who are running companies. And I said, so where did everybody go? He says, Ron, he says, if somebody was over 60, 65, when the pandemic started, they say, that's enough. I don't need it. So a lot of the seniors I just retired. And they, um, they're, they've they decided, you know what? We're not coming back. And now um, there's a shortage of, uh, young people don't want to work at those kind of jobs, and as said, this is why I believe anyway that um, why they're so sh- so short-staffed in all these places because a lot of the seniors that were working in, in these um, other places, grocery stores or whatnot, have, uh, have not come back to their jobs.
1: And what about you? You work part
5: time. I am retired full time. Um, I'm. I've said it before. Um, school bus drivers um, they're having a very difficult time doesn't matter I know all the companies um, people in the business and um, they're very struggling they were always struggling to find school bus drivers and they counted on a lot of senior citizens to do this work uh, to drive because it was only two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon and the pandemic came along and uh, a lot of them said we're not interested anymore and Um, who in their 30s or 40s is interested? um, School bus companies don't pay. Uh, It's not a full-time job. So um, I'm driving just because I like it, but um, this is my last year. Uh, My mortgage is paid off, So, but they're having a hard time attracting any older people who are ideal for the job.
1: Okay, Ron, thanks for that. Well, there you go. And I'm wondering, is there any inkling any of you that, that people who stopped doing certain things because of the scare, right? There, there were senior people, say, working uh, part time in a grocery store or driving a bus who stopped because it was too scary at the height of COVID, are some of those people going to be returning? Because
4: they're, they're still hesitating. There's still a tremendous amount of hesitation with uh, older Canadians about getting back into the workplace, uh, yet they're not buying into COVID is over. So we could see that change you know, a year from now, if things go as well as we expect them to be. But no, that's still holding true for older people. They're still worried about going back to jobs where they're dealing with large numbers of the public in large, in large
2: groups.
1: Okay, well, that, that makes that. sense. Yeah. But do you think that people will return to that yes. type of work?
2: Yes, well, because the market is going to, I mean, if I'm a bus guy, and I don't know anything about the bus bus company industry, but I mean, I'm not going to go out of business because I can't get, or I'm not going to willingly go out of business because I can't get drivers, I so pay will increase. I mean, the companies are going to have to adapt. And then you're going to look at the population and say, where are these bodies to be found? And there are more older people available, potentially, than younger people in absolute terms. And so you'll have to figure out, whether it's compensation, whether it's job conditions, whether it's different shifts, whether it's more people working part time and fewer people working full time, um, uh, I pointed. Out Bill and I were talking about this in the U.S. The U.S. statistics—they created a, a, a record number of, uh, not a record, a significant increase in jobs created last month, over five hundred thousand new jobs, and yet the labor force participation rate went down. And then when they took a look at the job creation, they realized that most of them were part-time and they were in effect double counting because the same person maybe was working two jobs. So you had two jobs created, but only one person doing it. So we're going to start seeing more of these anomalies going forward. I think it'll sort itself out to where if you are past the age of 65 and you want to work, there will be a much more favorable climate for you to work than we've seen before. But it's going to take some time.
4: The other thing we have to be careful about is interpreting retired, because John, our caller, just said himself, he said, I'm fully retired, and then he said, I'm working part-time driving a bus. Many, many uh, older Canadians call themselves retired, yet they are still working with a a side hustle or a part-time job. So just because people on a survey say they're retired doesn't mean they're not working.
1: Okay. (laughs) <laughs> That's kind of interesting. John?
3: Yeah, again, I think the years going forward are going to affect probably 30% of the people like John who are, what they say, Ron. are retired or are reaching retirement. That was Ron. Ron, <laughs> sorry. Ron, yeah, sorry. But they're they're going to have to continue to work in some way, shape, or form. Let's not forget that inflation today is taking a huge bite off of the grocery table, out of the gas tank out of any other product that you pretty well need to buy. And that that, in fact, brings down the available cash to support your uh, your retirement. So as I said before, I think it's going to affect certain groups more than others. But, you know, when you're talking about 30% who have nothing and you have another 30-odd percent who have something but, you know, maybe have to supplement it, we're talking about close to 65% of the entire boomer population who's headed for retirement uh, or or making it right now. So I don't think, you know, people are just going to fall off and start retiring, you know, if they don't have anything. So we're going to have to watch it over the next number of years and to see where they end up. And I don't, you know, I don't see a lot of people moving into full retirement unless they are very comfortable indeed.
1: Yeah, I agree. Wealthy uh, would be the other word for it. And, you know, John, you're making me think about something we will have to discuss going forward. And you mentioned financial planners and people sitting down with financial planners. Well, I think that people who were conscientious and did that before this inflation, well, maybe they have to go back to the drawing board.
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, there's all kinds of us who are exactly in that uh, position. Uh, you know, 15 years ago when we m- did very good plans that showed we'd be fine in these years, we now find they were totally insufficient because nobody uh, predicted both the, the big uh, fall in 08 and now uh, p- the uh, increase in prices now.
2: Compounded by longevity. Compounded by you now need that money let there be no inflation, let there be high inflation, you now might need that money for 20 or 30 years instead of 10 or 15 years, which was the traditional horizon that led to age 65. You need to save up enough money, you only need 10, 12 years, and then you're going to be gone. Now, what if it's 20th We've talked about this many yeah. times. But that affects your financial plan because now you have two things. you got a much longer horizon to need that money, and then, wait a minute, the expenses are rising faster than I anticipated. I'm, uh, I'm well-trained. I have a career. I have job skills. The only thing holding me back is the marketplace looks with disfavor on older workers. That's the
1: easiest part
2: to change, and it is slowly changing.
1: John Wright, I am going to give the last word to you. I think the word that
3: we've said a few times is financial planner. If you've got some money and you've got some time and you have uh, the ability to walk into uh, a bank that's got a financial planner and get to it, even if you've done it before, uh, I mean, there is a bank out there
1: that says you're richer. More, you know, you're richer, richer than, than you, think. you think. Great slogan. You're have to squeeze it as much as you can out of what you've got. My husband keeps telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, we wrap things up. Thank you so much, Bill Van Gorder, David Krevitt, and John Wright. Thank we'll you, Libby. Bye, bye. Okay, we are taking a break, and when we come back, another thing that will take some of your hard-earned money. So we pay some of the highest cell phone and telecom rates, but now one of the companies wants to charge you for paying with your credit card. When we come back
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one oh, no. fight back with Libby nimer on zoomer radio
1: welcome back we're just saying goodbye to our panelists here that's one of the fallouts from having people in the house okay so As if it's not enough that Canadians pay some of the highest cell phone and internet fees in the world, at least the highest among wealthy nations. So now one of the telecom giants wants to stick us with another charge. TELUS is asking the CRTC for permission to add a 1.5% surcharge to customers who pay their bills through a credit card. Telus wants to start implementing this charge by October 17th, and believe me, if Telus gets permission, you can be sure the others will follow suit. Now, I would have thought these companies would just be happy if you did that through an automatic payment because it means they will need to hire fewer people to chase you for the money. Now, a lot of people are fed up. So far, more than 56,000 have signed a change.org petition saying, don't let these companies get away with that. So what do you think? Enough is enough? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 866 740, for 740 And now let's go to consumer advocate and journalist, Ellen Roseman. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Libby. Now, do these companies have no sense of how the public is feeling about them, or do they just not care? This is hot on the heels of that huge Rogers outage. Uh, people are hating on their telecom companies even more than usual. I mean, what are they thinking? Well, a little bit of background. Uh, when you pay a bill with a
6: debit card, uh, the processing fees are something like $0.10 cents to $0.40 cents for the companies that accept it with Interac. Uh, that's very cheap because Interact is a non-profit company that was set up by all the big banks, so it's not out there to gouge you on the fees or to gouge the merchants on the fees. But with credit cards, depending on the kind of credit card you have, The merchant will pay, you know, 1%, 2%, up to 3%. And the merchant has no choice as to which credit card, you know, they're going to accept. So you might have one of those uh, American Express or those very, a lot of them don't take American Express because that's really expensive, but a lot of the Visa cards and MasterCards have elaborate prizes. So they cost a lot of money. And the uh, small businesses in Canada did a class action suit against the bank saying that the bank should pay back all these credit card processing fees to the merchants. That was in 2018. And it finally got settled recently. And so the banks will be refunding the merchants for a lot of these excessive processing fees. But at the same time, the class action fees now, uh, uh, class action now means that the banks can go direct, uh, the banks uh, that supply the merchants, the merchants can go directly to the customer to ask them to pay for the fees. So it looks like TELUS is the first big major company that we've heard of, at any rate, to decide this is going to happen. Well, they've gone to the CRTC and they're saying, well, we're going to do it as of this date. I think it's uh, October uh, 17th. Yes. And so they're acting like it's, uh, uh, you know, it's already uh, uh, de facto. And at the same time, they're asking the public to uh, put in comments, but they only have until September 7th. So that's not very long. And one thing that uh, I used to get complaints about is if you do put a comment on the CRTC website, they need to have your name and address and phone number and email number, and they make that public. I guess they're doing that to make sure that you're a real person, but a lot of people feel somewhat, uh, you know, that that's an invasion of privacy to do that. So um, TELUS is profitable. Bell and Rogers are certainly profitable. And I was looking at Telus's website, and they were talking about this late processing fee, and they said how to avoid it, you know, and they gave a variety of things like uh, uh, a visa prepaid card, which, of course, has fees of its own. Um, and then they listed all the other kinds of fees that they have. And I counted up to 12 different kinds of fees on wireless, because TELUS only offers wireless in Ontario. And that's a heck of a lot of fees that we have to worry about, and as you said, are our fees are very high. Also, that the GST is an issue, too. They give an example in their home province of Alberta. They say if the bill's priced at $100, first they add the 5% GST, so you're at 105 and then this 1.5% processing fee would be on top of the 100 plus the $5 GST. Tax on tax. And El- then you'd have another tax on the surcharge. Ellen, I mean,
1: okay. Uh, it's just paying by credit. First of all, you cannot pay online bills with a debit card. And I know there are, there are very small, like grocery stores that charge you for using a MasterCard or even for using a debit. Some of them do. But these are very, very small mom and pop shops. You know, if you, go to, uh, you know, a department store or some kind of retailer, you pay by credit card, they don't charge you back for it. If anything, you know, they they put it into the cost of the actual product that you're buying. But it's, uh, it's a courtesy. And I I mean, I'm just appalled. And people are really angry about this. I bet. And we know that there's only three big competitors
6: right now, TELUS, Bell and Rogers. Bell and Rogers didn't answer any questions from the media at the time the story broke, but I'm sure they'll be looking at it really carefully. And those fees will be a whole lot higher once you have your internet and your TV and all those other charges involved too. Um, and for many of us, we don't easily move between one telecom supplier and another because in the case of phones, if we buy the phone with a subsidy, we're paying off that subsidy for the first couple of years so that it's hard to switch because you get dinged on the, the cost of the phone. And then also if you have internet with a company or email, it often says at Rogers.com or at bell.net. So if you switch, then you have to change your email address, which is also an inconvenience. And, uh, so many of us were just stuck with the company for a couple of years anyway, and it's not as easy as just saying, okay, this grocery store charges this, I'll go to the one block away where I can get away with a, a lower fee. We're subjected to this, and uh, so the CRTC might be a little sensitized by hearing that revolt from the customers, especially when there are so many add-on fees. I remember a few years ago, they decided not to send paper bills, and then they wanted us to pay for the paper bills, and that was a big uproar. So their their mentality is always like, whatever
1: the business costs, we'll ask the customer to pay for just it bleed and we'll the just customer. improve our profits. I mean, this changed, our, I mean, it, it, it is appalling. I, I'm going to take some calls, but there are other companies that do it other ways. I was just talking about, I have an insurance company. They want you to pay a huge bill once a year. If you want to put it on a credit card with uh, equal payments, they charge 8%. And when you complain about it, they say, no, 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 we're not charging you to do that. We're giving you a discount if you don't. How's that for Orwellian doublespeak? Right. (laughs) Okay, let's hear from Darko. Hi, Darko. Yeah, I know, like Enbridge, they charge uh, 1.75 if you use a
3: credit card. I don't know if you're familiar with that, whatever that uh, service they use. So every time you pay your gas bill with them, you got to pay the extra. But the thing is, like, you know, with the big uh, telecommunications company, there's only three of them, I'm sure they could say, hey, do you want, do you want us to have our customers use your credit card? Because a lot of people carry balances, right? Or we don't carry you at all, because they're making a ton of money on interest. I could tell you that, the credit card companies.
6: Um, the Canada Revenue Agency charges you if you want to pay a bill with a credit card, too. Um, (laughs) I love that. I did not know that, Ellen. There's a company called Plastic, which is spelt with a Q at the end, and their role is to help you pay a lower rate when you pay by a credit card at certain kinds of places like the CRA or um, uh, a landlord, for example. If the landlord won't take credit card payments, you can do it through Plastic. Now, they charge a fee, but... It's it's uh, more kind of an independent service, and I think the fees aren't as high as what you would pay normally. Or with a landlord, you're often just barred from using a credit card, which is really a convenience for many people if they don't have the money close at hand every month.
1: Well, yeah, and it's also you know at least using a credit card, you maybe will get points or cash back. You know, uh, I um, I always thought that even buying groceries with a credit card that was for people who are cash strapped, like. I'm not doing that. And then I realized, oh, I have a cash-back credit card. Uh, I'm going to put all the groceries on my credit card because it's going to add up. So yeah. there, there are good reasons to do it if you have a cash-back credit card. Uh, and speaking of cash, Allison in North York, you want to tell us something about using cash. Yes, um, a couple
5: um, years ago or so. I went to Rogers. They had a booth in the mall, and I went in to pay my Rogers bill by cash. And the gentleman at the the counter said to me, no, we do not take cash. So what is this new thing now you have to pay? You can pay by cash. Well, he wouldn't accept it. I had to give him my Visa card to pay the the Rogers bill,
7: and I had the cash in my hand.
1: And, And you know what, Allison? there are a lot of places who now will not take cash. Yeah, one of them is the Canadian Passport Office. They absolutely
6: <laughs> refuse to take cash, so you have to pay by a credit card there. It's a convenience, I guess. They don't have to worry about, you know, collecting the cash and maybe getting uh, robbers coming in looking for money. Um, it's, it's more difficult to pay cash than it used to be.
1: Well, yeah, and it, uh, during the pandemic, people, for a while anyway, were afraid to handle cash, which I guess was reasonable, at the time, yes. Okay, we've got a lot of co- uh, we've got a lot of uh, calls piling up here. So, uh, Bill in Toronto, hi, Bill. Hi, Liddy. I was just thinking, you know, these uh, credit card companies
5: are charging Telus a fee, which actually makes their price go up. But like you, I've got a cash back credit card, and I get about six hundred bucks back every year. I buy groceries every. Uh, I don't pay my bills with it, but every other purchase I make, I use it. So I'm getting 600 bucks back. I guess Telus is getting fed up of uh, of, of sponsoring these credit card companies to give me money back.
1: Well, you know what? I'm sorry. Uh, you know, uh, Ellen was pointing out reading a Telus bill or a Rogers bill, and who the heck knows what fees they're charging us for they charge us some of the highest fees in the world if not the highest and adding this on top i mean a lot of people think enough's enough
5: but have you looked at your hydro bill or your gas bill lately they're no better I, mean, I would they charge you a service charge on their service charge.
1: And hey, I, I don't even have a chance. I I was on the 407 once a year, and and I just took a look at the bill, and I mean it's 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 almost amusing the things they list there. It's right out of uh, George Orwell. Well, you know you know what the difference
5: though with the telcos. Um, if you check it out, most of them are held in people's uh, pension fund. So. They're doing when they're making a good profit. It's serving uh, it's serving us all well.
1: Okay, well, I, I I think, Bill, you have an excellent pension fund. I don't know about a lot of the rest of us. Thanks for your call. Okay, we are taking a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue with this because, obviously, it is striking a chord. We're talking to Ellen Roseman. We are taking your calls. TELUS wants to charge you for using your credit card, When you pay a TELUS bill and the telecom fees are some of the highest in the world and you can bet your bottom dollar if TELUS gets that permission, then the others will do the same. And at the same time, there are lots of places where you can only use your credit card and it's convenient, and you can get cash back. So uh, tell me what you think of that. The number is 416 Toll-free 866 740 740 We'll be right back with more with Ellen
0: Roseman. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome
1: back. We are talking about TELUS's ask, TELUS's bid to charge consumers directly one and a half percent if they want to use a credit card to pay the bill. And a lot of consumers are telling the CRTC, which would have to authorize this enough's enough. Don't let them do it. There's more they're asking for this, this change.org petition which so far has more than 56,000 signatures says hey CRTC we want some competition we are tired of paying some of the highest cell phone and internet bills in the world and now this let's go uh right to the phones we've got Vera in Woodbridge hi Vera hi Libby how are you fine how are you good thanks Yes, I want. To, I agree with you. Enough is
7: enough. This this is getting to be too much now. And there are some places that do not take uh, debit cards. You're right. I have a choice to deal with them or not to deal with them. But I always carry a little bit of cash, so I use my cash with them, you know. But why aren't you paying your bills online? I, for years, I refused to because I didn't know how to. But I called the back of the card. They went through with me every step of the way. And I pay everything online now.
1: You can pay. I you can't pay online with a debit card. And I'm not sure that I would want to no, just for no, security. through my account. Through yeah, my through account. your account. Yeah. Okay. Is that um, uh, okay? I guess that's that's an option, Ellen. Is that a good option? Oh, definitely. Online banking is a very convenient way to
6: pay. Obviously, you have to have the funds in your account at the time because sometimes if you have a few occasions where the money isn't in the account they might ding you for a fee at that point
7: Uh, oh no 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 well i mean i'm you know of course i have the money in the account i actually deal with dell tell us through my adt system because they bought adt so Uh whenever i get the bill i just pay it online i don't pay for fees of any kind
1: well you pay your bank fees
7: Bank, uh, well, I'm over sixty-five, so there's
1: no bank fees for me. Okay, well, that sounds that that sounds like a good option, Vera. Thanks for your call. Yeah, thank you, lady. Bye. Bye. Yeah, uh, but you know, Ellen, I I, I don't know. It, it still seems like this is you know just another thing to uh, mess with us. Yes, um,
6: and uh, I think with credit card fees. There's an element of certainty for the bank. They know they're going to uh, be able to take the money out because uh, whether you have it or not at the time, you're either going to pay it or you're going to pay interest until you can get enough of the money in your account to pay it. So it takes away a lot of their uncertainty that might come with collecting it out of your bank account because your bank account goes up and down. And sometimes you're not even aware of things that might be coming out of your bank account around the same time that your telecom bill is coming due. So uh, they're going to profit in that way, too, that they're going to get guaranteed payments as a result.
1: Ellen, do you see this in any way as a kind of uh, consumer movement, people really getting fed up? I think so. I'd
6: like to see that Change.org petition uh, out in the news more. I I was looking for it during the commercial, and I couldn't find it. So if you could put it up on your site, that would be great, and I'll put it on Twitter and get people involved, because there's quite a short timeline here, and if everybody protests. And the CRTC is aware that with the Rogers outage and the Rogers-Shaw merger, there's a lot of concern about Canada's telecom market. When are we ever going to have enough competition to see true price discounts? you know, right now it's just a race to see how much they can charge. But uh, if there were some true competition and maybe the companies had to take some of these charges and just put them in the bill, uh, like, you know, to uh, pay for them themselves and just give you one amount rather than surcharges all the time. And remember, too, that if Rogers has had this outage, a lot of people are thinking, "Well, why should I keep my cell phone with Rogers? Because I already have several other services." And when we had that terrible Friday when everything was down, I was I was not able to do anything. They might be looking for an alternative. Are they going to go to Telus? Maybe not. You know, this is kind of nervy of Telus to do this right at the time when people are starting starting to look for alternatives.
1: Well, how one, one how long do, do you think it'll is take that the...
6: the smaller brands owned by Telus, like Kudo? And Rogers with chatter and so on. If if these credit card processing fees become universal, they probably will only do them for their higher priced brands and not for their lower lower priced brands.
1: Really, that's interesting. I, I just um, you were asking about this petition. It's started by somebody named Nicole Good Murphy McCallum, and okay. uh, here are some of the things that she writes. Uh, First of all, that other countries have better service for a fraction of the cost. She says, in the past month, I've had numerous dropped calls while in my home using bell lines. I've heard more of the same from friends and friends of friends using bell lines. In light of the outage, the second outage, which occurred in a year, uh, this is just, people are just fed up. Yeah. Yeah.
6: And we can see uh, when we travel to other places that their cell phone fees are lower. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a cell phone for many people now is a necessity. Uh, you know, young people don't have landlines anymore. And the cell phone is both for phones and for Internet. And it's 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 utility, right? And we expect if it's a utility that the government will get more involved in trying to keep prices reasonable instead of allowing the cell phone companies just to keep raising their rates. They've never really treated um, internet and cell phones as a necessity. They've always treated it as as a purchase that people make, right? But maybe they should be starting to think, well, we've got to have some consistency here and we shouldn't be allowing them to continue pricing the way they want, because with three big companies, you don't have real competition. It's more like a an oligopoly than a a true free market.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And and, uh, those of us who thought we had landlines, well, we found out on that outage day that we really don't have landlines. Let's take a call from Sue in North York. Hi, Sue. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you?
7: Some of your callers have already touched on it. I mean, why aren't more people doing online banking where it doesn't cost you anything? And like with PC, it doesn't cost you anything to use their credit card. You're getting, you know, gifts back in the way of food and stuff. And, and what would happen if, if TELUS lost a bunch of their customers, if their customers just went somewhere else and they wouldn't be able to do that? And Rogers has now started their own credit card for Rogers Services. That's supposed to be, I haven't got it, but, I, you know, they've sent me notices about it.
1: Well, so yeah, I mean, g- given their track record, I wouldn't get another thing with them.
7: <laughs> agreed. It's the greed of the companies. Like, there's there's no way that they need to be gouging people in this day and age after us having two years of COVID, not being able to go anywhere or do anything, and now you're going to go just for more money? It's ridiculous.
6: Telus does say in its press release that only a small minority of customers pay by credit card. So I'm not sure why they're so keen to get this new fee if it's not going to cover that many customers, Uh, maybe just because they can but uh, I'd, I'd say in general, once you get to a certain age where you're living on a pension or you don't have a whole lot of money, you want to keep your credit card purchases down rather than have your monthly bills going on them. You should have enough from your, your, your government pensions or something to cover your bills and not use credit cards because, as we all know, we tend to pay more with a credit card than we do with online banking or any cash that comes immediately out of your account.
7: I take online banking. I don't pay any... Um anything with my credit card um my insurance i pay with my credit card because i get points for it and then i just pay it pay it off through my my bank when, when my statement comes in well exactly I mean, i'd rather get points for doing something than go to a company like TELUS and end up getting so many fees that you just
1: can't afford it yep sue thanks for your call i'm going to take uh, one more here quickly we've got marion in Brantford. hi marion thanks for your call Okay, oh, oh, Marion, you, you've you got to turn your radio off. I just turned it off.
8: I okay. couldn't quite hear you. Um, I just wanted to comment about the, um, dis- I'm listening to your current discussion. Um, I have Bell, and I'm totally pleased with the service I get there. But uh, regarding online banking, people are quite judgmental about it. And there's a lot of us that can't do online banking. I have, extremely low vision and can't see a screen to do that. I used to when, years ago when I could read. I did everything online. But uh, so that is an issue. Um, and uh, Bell, I am on their accessibility program. So if a customer has any kind of a disability that interferes with using a Bell device, um, you can get get a form to have signed and uh, put on that and uh, get extra
1: help. Okay, Marianne, I'm glad to hear that that that's something that is working out for you. Ellen, we are just about on uh, out of time on this Uh, last 20 seconds. Where are we at with this? What do you think will happen?
6: I think that there is a good chance if If that petition gets out there and people start talking to their MPs, their federal MPs about lack of competition, there might be a move by the CRTC to delay the fee and look at it more because TELUS hasn't given them much notice about it. And I'm concerned that if TELUS does it, it will only be a matter of time before the other two competitors do it as well.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for that, Ellen Roseman. And I predict that this is not the last we are hearing about this issue. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks, Libby. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.